Welcome to the Be the Change podcast, a global volunteers production where we will explore people traveling, volunteering, and living outside their comfort zones. Welcome back to the Be the Change podcast. I'm Ruth Curran, and I'm so glad you came back to join me today. In today's episode, we highlight and honor and celebrate a relationship with an organization that matches at its heart Global Volunteers' passion and commitment to helping children around the world reach their full potential. That organization is Zero to Three. Zero to Three supports those who support infants and toddlers, those who teach them, learn with them, care for them in those critical early years. Today, we're talking about something very fundamental, and that's the effect of those early interactions between an infant or a toddler and their caregiver. Those interactions can shape the early years in immeasurable ways. Our guest today is Rebecca Parlakian. Rebecca is one of the many experts at Zero to Three, and I'm so honored that she agreed to come talk to me today. Welcome, Rebecca. Can you tell us a little bit about you? Hello, my name is Rebecca Parlakian, and I'm the Senior Director of Programs at Zero to Three. In my work here, I manage a variety of projects focused on supporting the healthy development of babies, toddlers, and their families. I also serve as an adjunct professor at the George Washington University in the Graduate School of Education. And my lab work in real life are my two children, a daughter age 16 and my son who is 13. I'm so glad you're here, Rebecca, to help us understand the individual's role in helping a child reach their full potential. So let's talk a little bit about that. Sure. We know that early interactions with a child can shape a child's future. Can you talk a little bit about how that happens and what that really means? Well, I think from a relationship standpoint, establishing a secure attachment or a warm, loving, trusting, consistent, safe relationship with someone is one of a baby's first and most important jobs in that first year of life. We can support that as adults and parents and caregivers by providing timely responses to baby's cues, by offering calming and nurturing when baby needs it. Because remember, babies are born without the ability to kind of regulate themselves very well. So they need us to help them calm down. We can follow their lead in play. So with babies and toddlers, um, letting them take the lead with play and then coming along and adding to and contributing, but not driving those interactions um, really helps children learn and grow within this safe and loving relationship. With regard to physical skills, you know, babies and toddlers need opportunities to use their bodies in environments that are safe. So they need to be able to wiggle on their bellies to develop strong trunk and stomach muscles and back muscles. They need to be able to, you know, wiggle forward on their bellies and develop, you know, those shoulders and arm strength to kind of hold their heads and necks up. They need opportunities to, you know, practice pulling up and standing and, you know, opportunities to be walking and grabbing and picking up 
both with their whole hand and with their two little fingers, right? You know, most babies are very much driven to master these skills because they want to be able to participate in more powerful ways in their environments. But they do need places to do this that are safe. Uh, and they do need some level of supervision to be sure that if they fall or if they, you know, get into something they shouldn't get into, um, that they can't, you know, hurt themselves because they just lack the ability at that age to kind of keep themselves safe. So if we think about creating a safe environment for a child and setting them up for a good future, that really goes back to before that child is born, right? Life experience can influence babies prenatally, right? Mm -hmm. They have a parent who is experiencing difficulty accessing consistent food. That's a life experience for the fetus because that's going to influence development in utero. I think once the baby is born, life experiences influence babies starting very young. There was a research study that showed that um, babies who were asleep and they played the sounds of adults arguing, the babies would even respond in their sleep to kind of hearing those sounds. Even infants being exposed to violence or domestic violence, you know, they can experience fear as very young babies between three and six months old. That's really young. And that brings up another point that we don't think about, and that's parents' reactions to how their actions affect their child at all stages of life. In our national parent survey here in the U.S., we found that parents were both excited about the idea that the early years really shaped a child and set up the child with a strong foundation or not. And then about the same percentage of parents were terrified by knowing that the early years were so critical and set the child up with kind of a foundation they took with them for life. I do think it can elicit both feelings for parents, and I think both are very normal. Let's talk about some specific things, some tangible, practical things that parents and caregivers, both full-time and temporary caregivers, can do to help a child develop their brain. These are the small things that we don't think about as being so critical, but they really are. First one that comes to mind is looking into a child's eyes. Will you talk a little bit about eye contact and the importance of eye contact? Babies prefer to look at things at a distance of 8 to 12 inches, which is coincidentally exactly the distance of the adult's face when they're holding the baby in the crook of their arm, right? Mm -hmm. So imagine a baby breastfeeding, looking up at the parent. That's, you know, the baby's preferred distance for gazing. So just from that alone, we know that, you know, babies are born wanting to look at the people who love them. We also know that babies are so clever and they come to use their gaze to communicate so many things before they have the words to do so. So starting, you know, around eight months or so, plus or minus, we see babies begin to use their gaze in very intentional ways. They might gaze at something to ask a question like, what is that? Or they might use their gaze to request something. So, you know, I want that. Um, or they might use their gaze just to establish kind of a social interaction to say, hey, look at that. Or look at me. Gaze is a remarkably powerful tool that babies use because when they're born, they don't have a lot of 
tools at their disposal for communicating and connecting with us. They can cry and they can, you know, grasp um, at first with a reflex and then later they can grasp with intention and they can gaze. That's kind of the the tools that they're born with and then they continue, they develop new ones and they refine those initial ones. But gaze is one of the most important. Babies are born with a sophisticated eye-hand-mouth exploration system, meaning they see something in their world, they grab it, and they bring it to their mouth to explore what it might be. You know, that looking is such a big part of exploration in these early years. So let's talk a little bit about timelines. I guess it's important to remember that babies grow and develop at different rates and paces. And those rates and paces have as much to do with setting and cultural context and context within the family than anything else. The cultural context is a really important one. And I would say that there isn't like an alarm clock that goes off and says, well, after this age, you know, you won't master X skill. For the most part, there is a fair bit of fluidity in developing cognitive skills and developing physical skills. Children do need opportunities to practice and learn and explore, but there are many cultures, for example, that, you know, don't talk to young babies, but eventually all the babies in those cultures learn to speak, for example. There may be slightly different time frames based on culture, but it doesn't necessarily mean that those skills never evolve, just different timelines. Cultures may emphasize different skills, too, that are more important or more valued in that particular culture. I teach childcare providers in a community college setting in the evenings. A lot of my students are also childcare teachers during the day, and they're finishing their degrees in the evening. And what I hear from them is that there are families coming into programs with a lot of different cultural practices and beliefs. So some cultures, for example, will hand feed babies way into the toddler years. So these children or these parents may enter a child care center with the expectation that they will have a caregiver who will, if needed, hand feed their toddler, whereas most child care centers aren't often ready or expecting to have that request from a family. Also, on the flip side, we encounter parents who, you know, want us to teach their two-year-olds how to read. And we have to have a different kind of conversation that is, you know, two-year-olds just aren't quite ready yet. And they're learning early literacy skills that will give them the foundation to learn how to read. But rushing reading is not the right answer. It feels like you're walking such a fine line, doesn't it? Well, you know, I think when we are working with parents, there's always a few things to keep in mind. And the first one is always to work with a parent to really explore what their goals are. So what are parents really hoping for and what would they like to work on? And we really focus on that because it's starting where the parent is and it's letting the parent define that rather than us coming in and saying, well, I see that, you know, we need to work on this, this, and this. Well, that doesn't feel very good for me, right? I wouldn't want someone to do that to me. So when I'm working with my students, I always talk about sit down and partner with the parent and say, this program is designed to support healthy development and to support you as a parent. And where are some places that you might like to start? Or what are some things you might work on? Or what are some things that you're having some challenges with? And then really start where they are because they'll be more invested. And you also can learn a little bit more about 
what's relevant and important to that unique family. And then I think from there, it's really a process of observation. So what are these, what is this parent's strengths? Always work from the parent's strengths and what they're doing really well. And then layer on top opportunities to explore, you know, new approaches or new strategies or to try, you know, something different, but begin where they're very strong um, and recognize where they're very strong. And, and those are just some of the sort of initial ground rules. We talk a lot about coaching parents um, and not telling parents, but really partnering with them and saying, okay, why don't we all three of us play this game together? And then you as the professional might model some techniques the parent could use. And then you kind of phase yourself out of the game and just observe the parent and child together, noticing strengths noticing where there's opportunities to grow, and then, you know, continuing to work from there. It's the partnering. It really is, because it's giving the parent what we all want, which is a sense of mutual respect, and a sense that we're in this together, and that you're assuming the best of me as the parent. We always want someone to assume that we're trying our best, because, you know, 99% of the time, we're all doing the best we can, right? Right. Thank you so much for joining us today, Rebecca. This has been an amazing conversation, and I can't wait until our next one. If you'd like to learn more about this amazing organization, you can go to their website. It's www.zerotothree.org. That's zero to three.org. If you'd like to learn more about anyone featured in today's episode, go to be the change. Blog. If you'd like to learn more about participating in a global volunteer service program, go to www.globalvolunteers.org. See you next time.